0: This episode is brought to you by the supporters of Daily Book Club at buymeacoffee.com daily. If you want to support these summaries, you can do so too by visiting buymeacoffee.com slash daily. There's no fee to be a follower, but a dollar can get you a membership that gives you access to additional content like written summaries that is not accessible to the public. And this would help me a lot in making learning accessible to everyone. Hi, I'm Day, and welcome to Daily Book Club, The Audio Experiment. You have an awesome product, an effective team, and a killer sales plan. So what else do you need to make sure that your business will succeed? We will learn that in Competitive Strategy by Michael E. Porter. If you think Michael E. Porter's name is familiar, you might have heard of Porter's Five Forces. That is basically from this book. Also, it introduces some simple models that help leaders around the world design their strategic positioning. The book is from the 80s, and during that time, it completely changed how companies analyze themselves relative to their competitors. If you're part of a company, that company would be in a certain market or industry. And in that market or industry, there will be different companies that compete for customers to achieve a dominant position. This is why competitive intelligence is essential for companies seeking to win in an increasingly competitive and challenging market. And the models in this book would help you do that. So let's start with what Porter is famous for, the five forces that move competition. Here's how I will summarize it. I will mention the force, an explanation and example of it, and a guide question to ask yourself or your team. First is the threat of new entrants. This occurs when new entrants arise to compete for a piece of the market within a segment, which business people call it market share. New entrants stimulate competition and it can be a problem for an established company. Threats can be reduced depending on the entry barriers that exist within an industry. So the entry barriers can be high or low. An example of a low barrier to entry can be the e-commerce food delivery industry. It would be relatively easy for anyone to put together one as long as they are committed to put in the right effort and time. On the other hand, an example of a high barrier to entry can be the banks in the finance industry. It would be hard for anyone to create a bank since one of the barriers is that it is highly regulated. This would require crazy amount of investment of resources and time. The question that can be asked here is what are your barriers to entry and how high is it to reduce the threat of new entrants? Second is the intensity of rivalry among competitors. The greater the struggle between existing companies to gain market share, the more difficult the competitive strategy. There are several aspects to this fight. Advertising, price, research and development, and quality. For example, if a company lowers its prices to try to gain market share, Others need to respond to this to not lose their own market share. It does not necessarily need to be the same way, but any response, by the way, not responding is still a response, would lead to a consequence, whether it would be good or bad. A question you can ask is, what are the different ways to respond and which would yield the best results? The third is substitute goods pressure. When products from other segments begin to compete for customers, substitution occurs, changing the dynamics of the market. So for example, when smartphones started to impact the sales of laptops because of what it could do, this is a very good example of substitute goods pressure. Some may not be so obvious such as a tutor substitute can be YouTube. Okay, maybe that was obvious, but if you do have some not-so-obvious examples, please tweet them and tag me at Daily Habit with the hashtag competitive strategy or post it in your Instagram stories and tag at Daily with the same hashtag competitive strategy. If it's not obvious and really interesting, I will personally email you a free membership to Daily Book Club so that you can access additional content like written summaries. Anyway, a question to ask here is... What are the products or services in the market that are not so obvious to be substitutes for my products or services? The fourth is buyer's bargaining power. The more bargaining power the buyer has, the lower the profits would be. Strong buyers will force you to lower your prices or they will take their business elsewhere. They can also demand higher quality of services or products, making companies start wars. And as mentioned, all these lowers profitability. For an example, let's look at companies that offer smartphones. Let's think of the top operating systems. No matter which operating system you prefer, you cannot deny that one has buyers with strong bargaining power and the other with buyers that have weak bargaining power. The mere fact that one smartphone company can overprice its products, make people do anything to get it, even have lacking features and yet have a cult following shows that the buyers have weak bargaining power. And the fact that most people can easily guess the company I mentioned pushes the point further. On the other hand, some smartphone companies have to keep their pricing competitive and market their features all the time to stay in the market just because the buyers have bargaining power over them. The question to ask here is, what feature or benefit do your products or services have that your competitors or substitutes don't have? This is also the differentiation or unique selling proposition, or USP, that gives a company bargaining power over their buyers. And the fifth is supplier's bargaining power. It's like the opposite of buyer's bargaining power. The greater the bargaining power of suppliers to raise prices or reduce the quality of goods and services offered, the less control a company has over its market share and profitability. An example can be a big car manufacturing company. Since they produce a lot of cars in a day, they would have numerous suppliers even for the same parts, like let's say mirrors. And since the suppliers of the mirrors produce the same thing to the standards of the car manufacturing company, the suppliers can be considered having weak bargaining power Since at the end of the day, the car company, having a lot of options and control, can dictate the price of the suppliers. An opposite example would be an avocado supplier that supplies a special one-of-a-kind multi-generation approved organically ethically farmed delicious avocado to an avocado-based restaurant. (laughs) The supplier can be considered to have strong bargaining power since only they will be able to supply what I just mentioned. So pretty much, they can dictate the price and quality. The questions to ask here can be simple as, are there any alternatives to our current supplier or is there a way to create a better win-win relationship with the current one? So those were the five forces and by understanding these five forces, you can understand the dynamics of the market you are in and strategize accordingly. Next, we're going to be talking about competitive strategies. Strategy is what you choose to do and what you choose not to do. So companies must develop competitive strategies to combat the five competitive forces that was just mentioned. Generally, these strategies can be divided into three different approaches. Cost leadership, differentiation, focus. The first one is cost leadership. This is basically having the lowest operating cost. The focus is on constant cost reduction across all areas of business to ensure that you have competitive pricing. This approach defends you from the risk of having a small customer base, and this would work if you have a high volume of buyers since margins may not be that high. The second approach is differentiation. You need to have a unique product that is perceived to be superior by the market. It can be done through design, brand identity, customer service, sales process, or even technologies. This approach defends you from the risk of substitutes. It reduces the alternatives for customers, making you control the cost of the products and services. The challenge here is that differentiation requires greater investments in research and development, marketing, and even design. The third and last approach is focus. Focusing on a segment, product, or market. This is choosing a specific buyer profile, geographical area, or product niche that allows you to achieve scale gains. A good example is AntsCanada.com, a store that specializes only in ant keeping. This allows a company to grow and have a strong, loyal customer base. The challenge is the quality of expertise and a great understanding of customers for a good product market fit. Okay, so now you know the forces and competitive strategies, but this means that your competition has access to all these tools too. So companies need to be able to anticipate and react to their competitors' moves. And this can be done through a competitor analysis. This will help you understand the competitor's move and decide how seriously it should be taken. There are four components of competitor analysis. Keep in mind that all these are in relation to the competitor. First component is evaluating future goals. Without knowing their goals, you cannot predict whether your competitor is comfortable with where they are or if you are a threat. This helps you evaluate potential clashes in the future. The second component is evaluating assumptions. These are assumptions about themselves, their competition, which is you, and the industry itself. For example, a company might think that they are socially conscious. Knowing these assumptions give you insights into the way companies behave and react to events. Understanding what they expect from you can help you come up with a better strategy. The third component is evaluating current strategies. Ask yourself questions like, what are my competitors doing? What can they do? This helps you anticipate what is possible and make sure you are ready with your own strategies based on what you expect from them. And the fourth component is assessing capacity. This is making a realistic assessment of each competitor's capabilities. Yes, they may have strategies and assumptions, but it's their strengths and weaknesses that determine their ability to follow through and deal with events outside of their control. These might be challenging to do, but Mr. Porter gives us tips on how to get such information. First is to pay attention to competitors' announcements and industry commentary. To be fair, some are real, some are bluffs, but it's all relevant so that we can figure out what they mean. It is up to us to use it and interpret the signals accurately. Announcements that companies make serve a number of functions. Prior announcements are communications made by a competitor that suggests that they will take action. If they're going to say that they're not going to take action, that's still an action. For example, a company will announce a new product before it's even ready so that people will anticipate it and not buy from competitors. Companies also announce expansions, sales figures, and other results so that others can take note and hopefully change their behavior. They're very sneaky that way, but at the end of the day, these announcements are there to influence behavior. It's on you to know how you'll react to these. New markets bring new challenges new industries emerge all the time. maybe it's because of technology, new needs, or even changes in the world new means that it will take time for the emerging industry to establish the rules of the game. Here, companies experiment on different strategies, asking constantly which configuration will prove to be the best and most efficient. There are a lot of unknowns in new markets, but here are things that are certain. There will be high initial costs because of small production volume relative to the industry's actual potential. This just means that production is not efficient yet, so they can't produce in higher quantities. That's why it's expensive. The employees would also be less productive because it's something new, but they would be able to adapt as familiarity increases. And the most important thing to note is that new markets must entice the first-time buyers and convince them that whatever they're putting out there can ultimately improve the customers' lives. Another thing to note for companies is knowing when to exit. There will come a time where industries will decline. A funny example of this is the slide rule. If you know what it is, send me a picture of it on Twitter. But most of us may not know what a slide rule is because it was replaced by an electronic calculator. Some of these declines can be based in society. It's like cigarettes. It saw a big decline when people started being aware of the health hazards resulting to it becoming less socially acceptable. Sometimes, even when the industry is declining, companies cannot exit since there are what we call exit barriers. Here are some examples of exit barriers. Breaking long-term contracts, continued production that may be more profitable than selling everything, or it's part of a bigger strategy that might impact the company's image. So to combat this, other than divestment or selling the business early on, An alternative way is to find a niche or gain leadership by becoming the only one or one of the few in the industry that is dominating. Another competitive strategy is competing globally. Today, because of technology, more and more companies are competing globally. Sure, it has its benefits, but these benefits come with challenges like more competitors, diverse customers, and different rules and regulations for different countries. Some strategies that we see often are identification of market segments. It's finding the market segments that are more open to globalization because they are not served well by the local firms. Another example that we see is redesigning the products or the marketing of the products so that it can be acceptable in the global markets. The last thing I want to talk about in this book is to integrate your business vertically. Simply put, Vertical integration is making as many processes as possible internally without relying on suppliers or any kind of outsourcing. So think of outsourcing as the opposite of vertical integration, and it's basically doing things in-house. The advantage of vertical integration is, if done correctly, it would be efficiency and lower costs. The disadvantages, on the other hand, is mismanagement of the overall processes. Sometimes, outsourcing might be more efficient if the expertise is superior. For example, for some companies, it would be more cost-efficient to outsource their payroll services. Here's an example of vertical integration. Let's say a computer manufacturer acquires a fingerprint sensor technology company so that they can make their sensors in-house and have full control over it. Of course, there will always be risks, like there will be a new technology that will make the fingerprint sensors obsolete. So always keep in mind, any action you take will always have its consequences. If you want to dominate your industry, then you must put in the time and effort in analyzing and understanding your competitors. Everything they do can be valuable insights in creating your own strategy. You just listened to a summary of Competitive Strategy by Michael E. Porter. Think of at least three people who need this summary. Share it to them. They'll thank you for it. If you have book suggestions or you just want to say something, you can always message me on Instagram at Daily or on Twitter at Daily Habit. And if you have thoughts that you would like to share on social media about what you just listened to, you can do so with the hashtag Daily Book Club. Again, my name is Day, and thank you for listening to The Daily Book Club, The Audio Experiment.